Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. We get closer and closer to the start of the college football playoff. Nothing circles the wagons like the National Football League as we get closer and closer to that playoffs happening. And an owner in MLB is trying to really ruffle some feathers. Some people are loving what he's doing. Some people are already crying over their spilt milk about what's happening in the world of ownership. We'll get into all those things. But since nothing circles the wagons, quite like the National Football League, before we look ahead into the college football playoffs, since we'll be celebrating Christmas and New Year's, so you won't hear from us for a little while. We might as well put all our chips on the table and get everybody excited for us to be wrong. You can fade accordingly, and you could probably win some money on yourself. But we're getting to that point now in the NFL where things are starting to come together for playoff pictures. Some teams are putting themselves farther away than others. But for the most part, for a lot of these races and these divisions... It's been exciting because there's still so many close teams and we're getting to that point where there's those teams that probably shouldn't make the postseason that still have a chance to make the postseason. Looking at you, 7-9, and nine, Seahawks, Saints, those types of years where people are just saying there's no reason why even the division winners should come out of this and win. We've got a little bit of that, but we've got a lot of competition. We've been talking about it since we've been talking really about the NFL in the first early weeks of the season. It's a great season to be a fan of an above average or okay team because finally it feels like you have a chance. I think that's going to be very exciting now for the last three weeks of the season. There's a lot of opportunity for those teams that don't usually make the postseason to make some noise out. You know who you are, the Detroit Lions. Merry Christmas to Detroit fans. At long last, they are on fire. Their quarterback is resurrecting his career. Uh, they won a huge game last week against the uh, the New York Jets, and they are firmly in the playoff. That, that's right. That's right. I want you all to listen very closely. The Detroit Lions are squarely in the NFL playoff hunt as we go down the stretch with three games, four games, depending upon who you are, where you are, buys, no buys, to go. The Detroit Lions, who have made a tremendous run this year, who are led by their you know, blood and guts players coach, Dan Campbell, their quarterback, who came over from the Rams in the much ballyhoo deal, uh, where the Rams won a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford and Detroit again floundered. And now look what's happening in the second year of that trade. Matthew Stafford looks like he's out for the season. And the Rams have sunk to not only out of it, but uh, 
the first team to go from Super Bowl winner to 10 losses this early since when? Since ever? Has a team gone from Super Bowl winner to 10 losses already this early ever? Not sure they have. With everybody hurt and, you know, everybody's favorite young superstar coach trying to figure out (laughs) what the hell happened. Okay, we get hit by a bus. The season has been an absolute train wreck for the defending Super Bowl champs. And those quarterbacks have swapped spots once again. And now Mr. Goff is on top of the world. And the Detroit Lions, they're not in yet. Still got a long way to go. But they've got a favorable schedule. And they are in really good shape to make the playoffs, which I think is terrific. Very happy for you know Detroit fans, as we started to talk about last week. They suck at everything. The Pistons are hideous, headed for the lottery again. The Tigers are awful. The Red Wings are on their way back, but they've fallen from Grace perennial playoff uh, participant and Stanley Cup favorite. Not anymore, but they're not hideous like the Pistons are, like the Tigers are, like the Lions have been. And now the Lions uh, are taking Detroit by storm. They are the hottest ticket in the Motor City, and they got a hell of a shot to make the playoffs. Well, unfortunately, my Denver Broncos are the answer to that trivia question, who actually will get the exciting opportunity to play the Los Angeles Rams on Christmas Day. But did the Broncos lose 10 this quickly? No, this is going to set the record for the worst, should this keep up. The Broncos went 6-10 and the year after John Elray retired after winning those two Super Bowls. Nobody else is close to that. There's been a couple 6-10s, and 7-9s, Six and nine by the New York Giants after winning Super Bowl twenty one. The Green Bay Packers went six seven and one after Super Bowl two. So take that with you, Will. So six and ten is the mark, and they're there. And it's funny that they are playing the Denver Broncos on Christmas Day, a game that people were rightly excited about before the season started, and it will not come even close to matching that billing, unfortunately, for the Broncos. Things have stayed. Semi the same atop the divisions. The Bills and Chiefs still 11-3 and three in the AFC. There's so many in the hunts, or if the season ended today's, here's who's in. Bengals, Titans, Ravens, Chargers, Dolphins, both 8-6. and six. Second in the AFC West and AFC East, respectively. Of course, New England, the Jets, they're still in the hunt at 7-7. Seven and seven. The Jaguars looking to get to 7-8. and eight with a win over said Jets as we speak and currently have that lead. They've been an exciting team to watch. And the Raiders and the Browns and the Steelers, 6-8. and eight. Not great at the end of the division. How about that Patriots game, Al? You've watched a lot of football. It's a game New England most likely had to win to help their playoff chances. They're still not done, as mentioned just before, but it didn't help them losing the game to the Los Angeles Raiders. Game's tied. They pull one of those. We're just going to run a draw and kind of kill the clock out and be happy to go to overtime. Their running back, unfortunately, finds a hole. Starts heading down the field. No one on the Raiders seems willing to tackle him. When a tackle does appear to be nigh, he pitches the football to Jacoby Myers, and you think, all right, he's right behind him. So there's no way he's going to find a hole. He'll probably just get tackled or go down. And Jacoby Myers decides, no, nay, nay, 
I will lateral this back to my quarterback who hasn't moved from the line of scrimmage after handing the ball off. So nobody's standing near him, right? Chandler Jones was. Somehow he was missed. The ball went right into his hands. He turned around, threw Mac Jones into the netherworld, threw Mac Jones into another dimension, threw him into where the Stranger Things seasons are shot, and ran it in for a touchdown. That's a Syracuse product, by the way, Chandler Jones, with a total and complete awareness of time and place, didn't give up on the play. And, yeah, the Raiders are pretty much out of it, but an ending for the ages, hard to believe. You know, those of us old enough to remember uh, Cal Stanford uh, thought we saw everything. But this, in an NFL game, takes the cake. I can't even blame the running back because, you know, he's trying to make a play. He's got his wide receiver right next to him. Now, what I don't understand is I haven't seen the clock superimposed against the play. And I'm still wondering, after the lateral, had he just gone out of bounds if there was enough time for an incredibly long field goal, or even a Hail Mary, because they were certainly close enough for a Hail Mary. And I think they were probably close enough. I know they have Justin Tucker, although he came off you know, the worst week in re- recent memory for Justin. But the point is, w- was the clock at zero by the time the lateral fiasco started? I very much believe it was. I will get okay. you the exact, there were 10 seconds to start when that play started. So once he once he got going on the run, that was that was pretty much it. Like everybody kind of knew, okay, this is going to be the last play. Once he pitched it, there was no time left, as far as I remember. Okay. So even had he gone out of bounds, which even that would have been like, okay, you're just conceding, we're going in overtime, which is fine. People teams do that all the time. You can't throw it backwards that far because remember, you don't have anybody you know, available. Everybody's downfield on your team. So even if it wasn't caught by Chandler Jones, even if it's just loose on the field, the defenders are the ones all behind the play. The defensive linemen, the entire offense is moving forward to try and make something happen and who who potentially would be left. Fat offensive linemen to try and run somebody down. And obviously the fleet Chandler Jones, Syracuse product, svelte, in shape, complete sense of awareness, body and mind completely in the game in tune makes the play makes the catch first of all makes the catch clean doesn't fumble it makes the catch like a football player and then you know turns into Bronco Nagurski just runs right over clearly uh, Jones boy and uh, into the end zone after about 40 50 uh, 45 yards and looking like uh, a lean mean offensive machine on his way into the end zone and the Syracuse product uh, Wins again in, uh, you know, how is it possible that a Bill Belichick team could allow this to happen? Exactly. How is it possible? But it did. And it really hurts New England's playoff chances as they are fading. Uh, They still have Cincinnati, uh, which the way the Bengals are playing is going to put them in, in dire straits as far as I'm concerned. I think New England's done. I think they're history. I do not think they're going to make the playoffs. I think it's going to be a, a 
it, it, I think it's going to come down to uh, if Tennessee can find a way to win a couple games without the starting quarterback. Because they're in dire straits as well now with the, with Tannehill after the season. So it really has taken a turn in the AFC because of health uh, with quarterbacks. My Ravens were in great shape. They're still in pretty good shape. But Lamar Jackson's still out. Cincinnati has taken the division lead after pathetic performance by the Ravens in Cleveland as the Ravens prevent offense, strikes again with their Pop Warner lookalike offense, not throw the ball more than 15 yards downfield. No receivers. Eric DeCosta knew this when he went into the draft. He knew he only had one big-time wide receiver. He was out. You know, he's out for the season. Uh, last year's first-round draft pick. And there are other injuries, but the point is they didn't draft one wide receiver. They didn't sign one in free agency uh, other than Deshaun Jackson halfway through the season. And as a result, they're a mess. They're a mess. The offense, they're great running the ball, but they simply cannot throw the ball down the field. So the Ravens' chances to win the division are in dire straits right now because Cincinnati looks great. Uh, last week, their win over Tampa was went from 17 nothing to 112-17 to as Tampa couldn't hang out of the ball in the second half. It was turnover after turnover after turnover after turnover, whether it was uh, you know the head of the Brady Bunch or uh, the running backs handed the ball, watching just drop it on the field. It was just an, an incredible turnaround in that game where Tampa looked great for the first half and just fell apart in the second half. And the Bengals ran away. The Bengals are on fire again. They're right where they were last year at this time, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And oh, by the way, when you got a great quarterback that you drafted number one in the draft overall, maybe it might be wise to listen to him. Don't draft the offensive lineman. Don't worry about protecting me. Get me my wide receiver. Uh, Baltimore, are you listening? Instead of drafting 18 fucking tight ends every freaking draft and another cornerback and another defensive lineman and another offensive lineman, oh, you know, we could get another tight end here. How about you draft a big-time wide receiver? You think we can the, – the Ravens, when it comes to this year's draft, I want wide receiver, wide receiver, first three rounds, wide receivers. Trade up. I want the guy from SMU. But I, I, I apologize. I've digressed. The, the point is – you have a team that is flying right now. Joe Cool slash Joe Burrow is playing great. That Cincinnati team is getting healthy. Uh, Jamar Chase is back. T. Higgins is back. Tyler Boyd is back. Joe Mixon looks good. Uh, P-Line has given uh, you know an awful lot of, of impact when Mixon was out and even when he was healthy. And no, their offensive line is not very good. And, it, you know, I don't know about you, but when you watch the Bengals play, it looks like Burrow's going to get sacked on every play. But he gets rid of the ball so quickly, or he, he takes a step here, a step there, and the next thing you know, he avoids the rush, he scrambles for the first down, and he looks like he's moving in slow motion. But he never seems to get hit when he passes the line of scrimmage. Never. He gets sacked plenty, but seems to always avoid a real clean lick in the pocket, whether it's going down, whether it's sensing, you know, the impact is coming. You don't see, you know, you can't really take shots at quarterbacks the way you used to without risking a penalty, but Burrow seems to avoid real hard contact, uh, despite the fact that his offensive line, you know, leaves a great deal to be desired. He's under a lot of pressure. Uh, he is a terrific quarterback 
they are in great shape for years to come with, the, with him at the helm. And he's you know, he's cocky. He says, you know, we're we're on the move. We're starting to play better. These are the games we need to win, and we haven't hit our peak yet. And you know, if you're a Cincinnati fan, you got to be feeling really good because remember he's under three and zero against Patrick Mahomes. So there is nobody in that conference that Cincinnati fears. They have a huge game coming up against the Bills, which uh, to me, I don't want to say it's going to be going to be an AFC you know, title preview because of Kansas City, but it will play a huge role in the seedings. You know, as to who gets the one seed, uh, whether or not the Bengals win the division. The Bills are obviously in great shape to win their division because um, they've already clinched the playoffs. And I'm looking forward to that game. It should be a terrific game. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. It's interesting for the Bengals because fans – surely are probably fearful of them having a full game like they did in the first half against the Bucks, And we've seen this happen. You talk about the offensive line, it not showing up some games. I mean, Tampa Bay's up 17 to three after the first half, the offense for the Bengals can't do anything. And you think, okay, I guess they're having another one of these games. It's going to be all Tampa Bay. And then you blink Joe Burrow ends up with four touchdowns. They win 34, 23. And you think, oh, they're fine. But for Cincinnati fans, for Chiefs fans, we've hollered this enough times. You have to be careful putzing around in games like this. Either the Bengals getting off to a slow start, the Chiefs getting off to a fast start, building a decent lead in the first half, and then kind of coasting in the second, and a team comes back against them. They don't necessarily always put their foot on the throat of their opponent, and the Bengals sometimes don't do enough early to where the game's too far out of hand when it matters. So those are obviously fearful things if you're a fan of either team because you've seen it happen before. Last week, obviously, for the Bengals, it didn't matter. They came back and and played incredibly well and another stinker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Another game where you watch Tom Brady and think, why are you doing this, man? Who's this benefiting? Just go home. Why are you putting yourself through this? You know, there's games you watch the Indianapolis Colts with Matt Ryan getting thrown around like a ragdoll. You know how much money you have, man? Just go home. Matt Stafford, just go home. Look at your bank account one day and say, why am I putting myself through this? How am I going to beat these young guys? I can't move anymore. I'm sore. Go home. Enjoy yourself. Have a good time with the family. There's guys like Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes running around out there. I don't want to put up with that anymore. They keep taking their beatings. But those are the fearful things if you're fans of those AFC teams, as good as they've been, we know how bad things can look. And we've seen it with all of them. We've seen Josh Allen have trouble in the red zone a couple of games this year where you wonder, has he ever thrown a football before? Interceptions galore once they get into the red zone. That seemingly has gone away. Now there's games where he looks like an MVP candidate, rightly so. Well, we talked about his injury scenario. I also think that had something to do with it. He looks much healthier now. Uh, But what we also saw last week was the greatest slash worst comeback and collapse in the history of the sport uh, as the Colts blew a 33 to nothing halftime lead against a team that talk about a team that is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The Minnesota Vikings can look so good 
and so bad from week to week. Here they did it from half to half. And you literally never know what you're going to get. But talk about looking old. And they were up 33 nothing without much of a contribution from their quarterback. Matt Ryan makes Tom Brady look like a young cult, no pun intended. Matt Ryan looks 85 years old on the field. He is so slow. He is so immobile. He can't throw. His arm looks dead. He tries a quarterback sneak on fourth and a foot where he takes the ball, turns his head, ducks, and tries to like lower his shoulder. You know, he didn't even, you know, Brady, when Brady does quarterback sneak, you know, he puts the head down, he charges. This guy turned away and, and ducked his head, not to plow forward, but to like go into the field position in a huge spot. And I'm not saying he's not a tough guy. Don't get me wrong. But he looks, I mean, Philip Rivers, again, looked like a young Turk compared to the way this guy looks. He looks so incredibly old, slow, decrepit. It's it's tough to watch. I couldn't believe when they made the trade. I thought Matt Ryan has been washed up for years. I've always thought he's the most overrated quarterback in football. I know I'm getting huge disagreements from everybody, but I've always thought Matty Ice was simply you know, a numbers guy playing inside, gagged the biggest lead in his Super Bowl history, and has now gagged the biggest lead in the history of NFL football, blowing a 33 nothing lead, overtaking you know, the Oilers, former Titans, when they blew the 35-3 lead against the Bills in the playoffs many moons ago. And, and this was just a complete collapse on all fronts. And they had opportunity after opportunity to put the game away, and they still couldn't do it. And Ryan literally looked like a relic. He needs to hang it up. I felt bad for Jeff Saturday. I don't know how they can start this guy quarterback. I just know how you can win a game with him. Can't throw. You just can't. You can't throw. And, and it was it was tough to watch. So the Vikings are rolling. They are alive and well. They pulled another one out of the hat. So they won every game this year by less than a touchdown. But they continue to roll on. Uh, you know, the NFC East now, all four could well make it. All four could well make it because you only get it one from the hideous south, which looks like it's going to be Tampa. Uh, Minnesota, obviously, is your winner in the north. The Packers are still alive. And out west, you know, obviously you have the Niners with their third-string quarterback rolling along. The question becomes, you know, does Seattle have enough left to survive? I don't think they do. I don't know if Seattle will win another game. I could see as much as I love Pete Carroll, I could see the Seahawks losing out the rest of the way, which means where are wild cards going to come from? Are we going to have all three from the East? Is Detroit going to sneak in? That's the one question left to me is where's that last wild card going to come from? You know, we know Dallas is going to get one and it looks like another one for sure is going to come from the NFC East giants slash commanders. Who's going to get the last one? Is the entire division going to make the playoffs? Detroit or Green Bay going to find a way? Detroit's schedule is very easy. So Detroit's got a hell of a shot. Giants just won a huge game the other night uh, where they had the referees just literally hand them the game on the silver platter. Uh, you know, In the last possession of the game, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah, apparently 
it was one of those situations where because it was late enough in the game, we just throw all whistles out the window and, and a was, blatant pass and interference to end the game was not called. And, and, and before that seen in the past forever. Okay. Well, how many times have we seen that receiver yeah. look at the courtesy look? Say, I'm good. I'm, am I okay? Yeah, Thumbs you're up. good. You're okay. Not, and it's Terry McClellan, who's a big time receiver. Yeah. This is not some rookie. It's not some, you know, second rate guy who doesn't know what he's doing. And then it scores. And then the flag comes after out of nowhere. You know, he's also, you know, like 100 yards from the play, which is, you know, a run up the middle. Let me throw that flag. And then, you know, sorry right. for interrupting. And then, you know, you go ahead and mug the receiver. And I know we see interference far too much on nickel and dime stuff in the end zone, but this was, you can't do that. You can't, you can't pin the guy's arms to his sides when he's trying to reach up for the ball. This, you know, almost going to hit him in the head if he doesn't, have, if he can't get his arms up. It was just terrible. Terrible, terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Terry, the the play from the official was like if you're in the back with your little brother. Oh, you're not going to tell mom, are you? No. Then she comes out first thing and says, hey, he did that. (laughs) It's like he was just waiting with the hand in his pocket, ready to throw the flag as soon as the play started. And it's, it's obviously one word against another, but when he says... I looked at him, kind of gave him the signal, am I good? He said to move, I moved. He said, you're good. And then he threw the flag on me. Anyway, if that's actually what happened, it, it can't. It just can't. It's not, it's not how this works. I know that's not breaking a rule. He obviously doesn't have to help you at all, but it's just kind of what you do. And for the play to not be even cl- – I don't even think the wide receiver and cornerback touched each other base, basically at all because the, the play wasn't going that way. They're just taking that one off. Now, would the commanders have gotten the two-point conversion to tie the game? That's up for debate. Anyway, there obviously wasn't, there was more to do, but it was just preposterous to see. And then you think, well, maybe they'll give them a makeup call, you know, hint, hint, one of those things in sports. And no, they did not. It went the complete other way and just a terrible loss for the commanders. Shout out, though, to Matt Ryan for making like bar trivia for us a lot easier. You know, somebody ever asks you, well, who had the worst loss? Well, when? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter now. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. It's you both times, buddy. You just got to remember the score. That's all. You know, what was funny too in that game. You didn't even get the sense, which just shows kind of how sad things are for the Colts, that it was like that historic of a comeback. Because they couldn't do anything on offense. You were just like, well, it's only a matter of time before the Vikings do this, right? I know it's going to break the record, but of course they're going to. And it could have been worse. They had two touchdowns taken off the board. They could have scored 50. Some egregious calls against them. A, a blatant no call for a whistle on a fumble. They blew the play dead. Would have been a touchdown. Vikings had a comeback from those things too en route to the biggest comeback of all time. But shout out. To Matt Ryan, because now we have the answer for both of those things. And you know what? Shout out to the Patriots, because when you think, what are the most egregious end of game plays that you've ever seen? One of them was the Miami Dolphins pitchy, pitchy, wooing their way past the New England Patriots, Al, when they rolled out Rob Gronkowski, thinking they were going to throw a Hail Mary deep and he was going to knock it down. That didn't happen. A miracle for the Dolphins. And here we have the Patriots again on the wrong end of history with the pitchy, pitchy, 
Whoa, no. I'm glad they made it easier for us this week. And a ton of like crazy overtime games down to the wire games. Scott Hansen almost had three or four strokes because he can't keep quiet. He's got to make a comment for every single thing that happens in every single game. Instead of just letting the professional broadcasting crew announce the actual game, he's got to interject his commentary. Can't use the bathroom because that's his bit. Like we'd miss him for 45 seconds. No one needs you at the desk, man. Just put the games up. We can see what's happening. You don't have to tell us what's going on. The guy's getting paid to do that. We'll do such. We got eyes. That's kind of how I feel about Scott Hansen. Good to get that off my chest. But for those interested in the other side of the playoff race, those NFC teams are indeed all in if the season were to end today. It's like old school NFC East football. You got to love it. Somebody's going to get their heart broken. It's not going to be great. Prop most likely. I remember this was the NFC, and as we said last week, this was the NFC. It's been the NFC least for a long time. Overall, and, and now, it, now it's the NFC South that has become yeah. a laughing stock. What's because, happened? You know, it, it, it looks like uh, they will have their division winner under five hundred, and that means they'll get a, they'll, that means they'll get a home game, which to me is still blasphemy. Again, I've always been of the thought that you know, well, you need to get rewarded for winning the division. Your reward is you made the playoffs. If you can't be five hundred, then you don't get the home game. You got to attach something to it. You can't have a home game going seven and nine or, or, or excuse me, eight and nine or right, seven and 10. Because again, remember, not only do you stink, right, you couldn't go 500 when you played six games in a division that stinks, which is an insult to injury, but they'll get a home game. And over in the AFC, you know, it's going to come down to because of injuries and the Titans who are suddenly struggling, who were in great shape early on. Uh, and we thought, you know, the Steve Tannehill era was over when the season started, when they got to a very slow start and the boom, they caught fire. They were in great shape. Now they can't win a game. Now Tannehill is out for the season. There's a really good chance now with the schedules, the way they are that the Jacksonville Jaguars can win that division and the rest of the division obviously isn't going anywhere with the exception of the Titans, but the Titans could be out of the playoffs and you could have possibly three teams from the AFC East you know, with, with two wild cards from there. And the one wild card coming from the other wild card coming from the North, uh, whether it be the Ravens or, you know, probably the Ravens, but maybe the Bengals because uh, it, you have the chargers who are, virtually in is one wild card. Uh, again, with the slide will coach Mr. Fourth and whatever, go for it, but they've caught fire and they have an incredibly easy schedule the rest of the way. So you have to believe Chargers one wild card, Ravens, not an automatic, but a really good chance for the second wild card if they could find a way to win another game without Lamar Jackson to get to 10 and seven, at least get me to a push on my, uh, my overbet. Uh, which jumped to 10, so at least get a push out of it. And then it looks like, you know, NFC or AFC East's Dolphins and the Pats are out, as we talked about before, uh, because you're not going to get a wild card from the South. So, you know, New England's schedule is not easy. That Cincinnati game is going to be a very, very tough game for them. I believe that game is at New England, but I don't know if that's going to make much of a difference. 
I really don't. Cincinnati travels well. Uh, can New England beat them? I'd be shocked. I really would. Uh, and Cincinnati also has the Bills. But uh, I think they're the team to beat uh, right now in the North. There's no doubt about it. They're clearly playing the best. Lamar Jackson out again this week. No idea when he'll be back. And even when he before he got hurt, he wasn't playing well in the Raven offense. Couldn't score any touchdowns. Raven defense playing well. They're running the football well, but they can't throw it. Simply can't throw it. Can't score in the red zone. Haven't had a wide receiver score a touchdown since, you know, 2012, I think. Uh, so their passing game is an absolute embarrassment. Um, but this is a big jump for the Jags. Uh, the guy who I wasn't quite sure on, the number one pick, is starting to really develop, to make an argument that his development was retarded by uh, the retard coach uh, who was out dancing in cocktailing. And now that he's gone, he's got a real coach and a quarterback guru, Doug Peterson. Um, you know, the kid is really playing well. Got a nice crew of receivers, some veteran. Uh, Marvin Jones can still play. I've, I've I've always liked him the years in Detroit. And uh, they make big plays. They make big plays for him. So they're in good shape. They're in really good shape to get a wild card, which is some turnaround to their credit. Um, you know, they are... You know, the Lions uh, of the AFC. And it's nice to see these teams, you know, get away from being dreck and finally be competitive and have a shot at making the postseason. And only good things are happening at Jacksonville in the future. But they're, they're moving everything in the right direction. They're absolutely positively. Yeah, it's it's great to see. This is the quarterback that people hoped or thought Trevor Lawrence would be after seeing his career in Clemson and what he was able to do with them. Albeit, we've talked about it on this show about you know, you come out hot, win a college football national championship, and then it doesn't necessarily go your way the rest of your career, which he's not the first person to have that happen to. Then you get stuck with Urban Meyer. You don't develop any, and people question whether or not it was worth taking you as early as they did, whether or not you were just a really great college quarterback, and that's all. You're just going to be Well, he had, all the, he had all the tools, but I thought I still thought he's a little overrated. Yeah. And right now, uh, I thought he was a little overrated as a college player, even though he was terrific. Um, but he's proven me wrong. He's playing great. He's playing he's great. Playing good for him, too. It's been good a great friend. response from the team overall. I think they lost five in a row at the midway point in the season. And then they've, they've rattled off a couple wins. Tough loss to the Chiefs. Got blown out by Detroit, and you still didn't get a good feel on what was going on. But hey, exactly. That, 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 that's exactly right. That's when I was like, well, what, what, how did this happen? You know, I, I thought that would be a really good game. Uh, you know, because of course they turned their season around by beating who? <laughs> My Ravens. <laughs> with the 20-27 comeback. Um, another game the Ravens gave, you know, gave away. But the uh, that game threw me for a loop. Really did. Beat not because they lost, but how they lost. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We would be remiss if we did not mention the shocking and incredibly tragic passing of Franco Harris a couple days ago. For those of you who are too young to remember, shame on you. Um, and you've, I'm sure you've all seen it by now. Uh, you know, Franco Harris was one of the mainstays of the Steel Curtain. Uh, Pittsburgh Steeler, four-time Super Bowl 
champs of the 70s. He was really one of the main building blocks. 72 was his rookie season. He rushed for 1,000 yards. Uh, that was the first time they made the playoffs in forever. And he became a mainstay, a focal point of the offense, uh, the heart of the running game. They had the great running game, followed by the great passing game with Swan and Stallworth. But Swan and Stallworth were not there yet. Bradshaw was there in 1972, home playoff game against the Raiders. Uh, after a shocking touchdown run by Ken Stabler, who was not a running quarterback, but who came in to relieve Daryl LaMonica, who had struggled the entire game. They were being shut out 6 nothing, And Stabler ran for about a 30-yard touchdown run. And back in those days, you know, you didn't have the ability to come back the way you did now. Defenses were much more able to defend. You could play bump and run. You could kill the quarterback. There weren't these nickel and dime five-yard illegal contact penalties. You could chuck a receiver all the way down the field until the ball was in the air. So it was much harder to move the football. And the Steelers looked like they were dead to rights. They had a fourth and long down seven, six, uh, inside a minute to go. And Terry Bradshaw pulled a Houdini. It was, uh, you know, it, it was similar to, uh, Eli Manning's escape, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl against the Pats where the Raiders had him dead to rights. He scrambled away, reversed his field, fired the ball downfield. And it was deflected by whom we're never going to be sure. But it was intended for John Frenchie Fuqua, who was one of the running backs. And Jack, the assassin Tatum, hit him. They all three arrived at the same time. The ball, Fuqua, and Tatum. And it was deflected backwards towards the line of scrimmage. And this was back in the day where two offensive players could not touch the ball consecutively. So... If it touched the offense, it would then have to touch the defense before the offense could have a legal reception. Well, regardless of what happened, and the Sapruder film has had about the same number of viewings as this immaculate reception. It was deflected back towards the line of scrimmage, and everybody thought the play was over except for Franco Harris, who picked the ball out of the air about three, four inches before it hit the ground. So the awareness to see it, react to it, and grab that ball and hang on to it before it hit the turf in Old Three Rivers Stadium was amazing on his part. The camera caught up to him in time because it was focused on the deflection and then the, the players with the ball is deflected. Then it's back in Harris's hand. The NBC camera picked him up. He veered to his left and down the sidelines. Only Jimmy Warren, who was the Raiders' extra defensive back, had a chance to cut him off uh, with the angle, but Harris uh, was too far ahead of him. He couldn't catch him. Dove. Harris went into the end zone with about five seconds to go. As I said to Chris Maddog Russo the other day, nobody ever talks about the fact that had he got him and knocked him out of bounds, they still could have kicked a game-winning field goal. But the point is, it was an incredible play by Harris to tightrope the sideline and stay in bounds, get into the end zone. They had no replay back then, but the officials for about 15 minutes were on the phone and calling upstairs and were never really going to know who they were speaking to, but they eventually ruled it a touchdown. It became the immaculate reception. 
for those even older, the Immaculate Reception is the football NFL version of uh, the famous shot heard around the world, the most famous play in the history of Major League Baseball, Bobby Thompson's legendary home run. I know I'm really dating myself now. I didn't see that live in 1951, but that's the most famous play in baseball history. This is the most famous play in NFL history. And Franco Harris was on with Chris Mad Dog Russo a couple of days ago to talk about the play because the 50th anniversary is upon us of the Immaculate Reception. And Saturday night, Christmas Eve, the NFL in its infinite wisdom on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, of course, scheduled the Steelers to play the Raiders, the now Las Vegas Raiders in Pittsburgh. And at halftime, I believe at halftime, correct me if I'm wrong, John, Franco Harris's legendary number 32 jersey was to be retired. And lo and behold, God working in mysterious ways, somehow, some way, after being on with Chris Russo, two days ago to discuss this in mid-afternoon. The next morning, Franco Harris is gone, passing away overnight at 72 years of age. It happened in 72. He dies at 72. It's eerie. It's unfathomable that this happens now. Just uncanny, shocking, incredible the way it happens, and then it happens when it happens. I, I was stunned, dumbfounded, when I read the ticker on SportsCenter early in the morning. I said, like, what? He, he, he was just on. So it's not that he was sick. I mean, have we, do we, did you hear a call or see a cause of death yet? I have not. No, I haven't. Aside from, I, I guess, he took a coughing fit while he was on with Chris. Mad Dog Russo during the interview and was like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. I mean, obviously that was looking back after it happened, people remembering what went down when he happened to talk to him. Cause as you said, it was so sudden because he was just doing his normal things the day before did a hit with Chris Russo. He was at the airport talking to Brooke Pryor about his statue being there and meeting fans and signing autographs and taking pictures Similar to Mike Leach. He's at a Christmas party the night before, and the next day he takes a massive heart attack and dies. You never know when it's going to happen. And you look at the Steelers and you think, you know, maybe this was something, obviously, his number should have been retired long ago. What took so long? Obviously, the situation that it was going to happen and will still happen at is going to be incredibly memorable because of the anniversary, because of that play, because of how it it basically changed the entire Steelers franchise around before the inception. We're talking like 25 out of, out of 40 years, sub 500 records, no playoff wins. Their first, there were more of a franchise. The first playoff win was that game. They were doing that. Now they've got the most wins in the NFL in the last 50 years. Like only a handful of sub 500 seasons, six Super Bowls. Like that's the play that's kind of made the Steelers the Steelers. So I understand the situation and, and obviously everything that they had planned was going to be great and still will be. Unfortunately, weather is going to move some things around, I guess. They're going to have to move some things indoors because, I mean, the whole country's getting welted these next couple days. And even now with cold and snow and cyclone, NATOs, whatever they're calling these things. So weather's going to play a factor in whatever happens, but now it's it's such a heavy moment instead of what was supposed to be an incredible celebration. It's too bad. I, I don't know if there's going to be a try in the house 
it's, it's just, it's, it's unfathomable the way this stuff happens. I mean, talk about God working in mysterious ways. For, for, it, it just, you know, for, for him to, to not be ill in any way, shape, or form that we know of, and this to happen at this time when such a momentous occasion is supposed to take place, and on a couple of days, literally a couple of days from the 50th anniversary, and everything is supposed to be on the celebration of it, it's... Uh, you go the old phrase you can't make it up but uh, this you just, you just can't figure it can't figure it no easy way to move on from that except by saying social media is saying Zach Wilson's really sucked tonight against the Jacksonville Jaguars en route to their three points not to say that that's much of a surprise but just to let everybody know that may not have been paying attention to the game that's where we're at booze raining down calls for anybody else aside from him is he the worst quarterback of all time? Victory was. That's the kind of conversations that are happening as the Jets lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not great for Zach Wilson, who didn't have too bad of a game last week after getting Correct. benched and came back. Correct. And you thought, okay, yep. maybe he's well. figured it out a little bit. Well, maybe not quite yet. Quickly to college football, since we'll be on holiday breaks the next couple weeks. Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy holidays to all. To all a good night. December 31st, obviously, is when the main sit-on-the-edge-of-your-seat bowl games will be happening. Sugar Bowl kicks things off. Alabama, Kansas State. And apparently, all of Alabama's stars are slated to play in this game, as are Kansas State. Yeah, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Bryce Young's going to play. People thought he would sit down. Will Anderson said, hey, man, I'm captain. I'm playing. We're going to go out there and play. You know, we we go after Saban sometimes when we talked about, you know, him lobbying for uh, being in the playoff with, you know, well, Vegas has, (laughs) Vegas would have his affair with yada, yada, yada. But to me, this says a lot about the caliber of kid that he recruits. And in terms of their attitude towards playing football, playing for each other, and love for the game. Right. Pissed off. Love for the game. Two losses. I think, it's, I, think it's, I think it's pretty cool. Didn't make the CFP. They're pissed. They want to get a win under the belt before you, they go you, you know he's not making these guys play. No. No. And I think it's cool he, the other he, way. Kansas State's doing he knows, the same. He knows, what's, he knows what's on the line for these guys. Absolutely. So it's, it, I mean – it's a game that quote unquote means nothing. And unfortunately only two games do for now, but that's, it'll have an old school bowl feel Al, where like the names of sugar and cotton and all those mean something, whether or not they're involved in the college football playoff or not. And especially before that happened, even if it wasn't the BCS national championship game, all those games mattered. People wanted to win bowl games. So that's exciting to kind of bring that feeling back. It's going to be a battle, but obviously the games that, do matter. Come later in the evening. TCU plays Michigan, the three and two game. Ohio State plays Georgia in the four one game. The spread's gone down slightly in the Michigan game. Their favorite now by seven and a half. I believe it opened at nine or even double digits. It's very tough to fade TCU as a dog. Yeah. Every game they play is within. A, I mean, they've won them all. It's tough. It's tough to bet them as a favorite. And with those purple okay. teams, whether it's the NFL or college football, a lot of close one-score games, it seems, this season. Uh, I, I, I'm going to take TCU in the points if you're going to give me the hook. What do you think? I agree with you. 
I I love the hook, by the way. I wish we were on it at nine or even ten, obviously, but one touchdown I really like. And Vegas knows exactly what they're doing. <laughs> they got the hook at the perfect spot in that game. They got the hook in the perfect spot in the Ohio State-Georgia game with Georgia favored at six and a half. So you think, well, all they got to do is win by a touchdown, Al. How hard could that be? Of course they will. Well, we'll see. I could see... You know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something you're never supposed to do. The old saying, if you don't think the team can win the game, don't take the points. I think both dogs are going to lose. As much as I like Georgia, I'm, God, because I'm a huge Ohio State critic. But I'm going to say they show some guts for once. And they make this a real game. And it's a one possession game. The question is, uh, come garbage time, who's going to score? I am going to take. Uh, I'm going to take Ohio State in the garbage cover. I love it. Georgia wins, but Ohio State covers late, and I'm going to take TCU with a clean cover. No garbage, clean cover. Clean cover. Clean cover. I love that. And it too. may be by the hook, but and it maybe I, I think it could be closer. I think it could be closer than that. I'm gonna say that's gonna be a really competitive game. And I see TCU is 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 right there in challenges. I'm gonna take TCU in the seven and a half. I'm gonna take Ohio State on a garbage cover. We've almost been able to pencil in a semifinal blowout since the college football playoff has happened. I'm right? yeah, yeah, I'm also hoping. You know, <laughs> that's another aspect of it. I'm hoping for two really good. I think we got a shot at two really good yeah. games. I, I really that's all we're this. asking for. It's been. I like about these matchups and I like about what the committee did because yeah. they gave as much as I hate to say that Ohio State deserved to be in there. Uh, they deserve to be in there by default. But they picked the four right teams. I think these are the four teams are supposed to be there. And I'm fingers crossed for two really competitive games, um, at least to the point of one score games, like I said. I think TCU will compete the whole time and, and cover. And I think Georgia will be in control and Ohio state will compete, but you're never going to feel like Ohio state's going to win the game, but they'll get the garbage cup. A lot of the conversations early around the game, some people are doing the, well, if there was going to be a team that can give Michigan a run, could be TCU's wide receivers with their speed. Well, if there was going to be a team that could give Georgia a run, could be that Ohio State offense. Well, if there was going to be a t- so we've been getting that at least. What I didn't like about Ohio State is they haven't really shown to me an ability to run the ball against good teams. They weren't able to run the ball at all against Michigan. And, you know, it, it comes down to the quarterback and the wide receivers and Marvin Harrison Jr. is a terrific player. Um, the other kid's going to be a first-round draft pick. But you know, against a really good Michigan defense, they kept everything in front of them. They didn't give up the big play. And they controlled the Ohio State offense. I think Georgia's defense can do that as well, and I think they'll put you know, a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Uh, I think Ohio State will score. But you know, after the way that Ohio State defense played you know, against Michigan, 
as long as Georgia takes care of the football, I think they'll be fine. Don't shorten the field. Don't give up points when you've got the ball. Uh, and he's been very good, uh, you know, at doing that. And because um, you know, this is the quarterback that is the little engine that could, you know, the Georgia quarterback. Uh, he's doing he won the national championship last year. If he had the bad Sugar Bowl and they were undefeated, excuse me, the bad um, SEC title game against Alabama, and came back and played really well in the title game. And he's had a great season. And can he win two in a row? Yeah, I think he can. I think he can. I, I think he's, you know, the, the the Georgia version of A.J. McCarron. You know, he's the Georgia version version of Greg McElroy. You know, the Alabama quarterbacks who are don't wind up being great pros but are really good college quarterbacks. And I, I think this kid may be the same thing. It's funny you mentioned the running game and having to do that against Georgia. Now, granted, the front is completely different based on the – 15,000 players that seemingly went to the NFL from the Georgia team from last season. But I was trying to remember and was clarified to see Bryce Young throwing it 57 times in the national championship game last season compared to Stetson Bennett's 26. They ran for 73 total yards on that Georgia defense because they just couldn't. They had to just keep passing the football. So if that's the game plan and CJ Stroud is put into that conversation and has to do that, We'll see if he'll be able to. And the lights are going to shine bright, but they're going to be two exciting games, thankfully. That's the college football playoff. That's the near end of the NFL season. That's football talk. And that's it for us. Merry Christmas to you, Al. Merry Christmas to the family. Happy New Year as well. We'll see you guys after the holidays. We'll be back to talk even more football. We'll be right in the thick of things and can get some other stuff going around in the other sports as well. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again in 2023. Folks, this is my partner's first holiday season as a married man. So I want him and his beautiful wife to enjoy their first Christmas together and New Year's with the new house, with the dog. He's got it all going on. This is a guy who's got the world by the you-know-what, all right? And uh, it's it's great working with him now as a full-fledged real guy, married, doing chores, uh, checking out the honeydew list, etc. Welcome to my world. I hope you have a great Christmas. Give your wife a big hug and kiss for me. Uh, Folks, we thank you for listening, being a part of the program. We will be back with you next year for my partner, the great John Tinyland. Until next time, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great Christmas, a happy new year. Enjoy your football. We'll talk to you next year. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at SportsRadioAmerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.